0: For a long time, I would stand up in front of I and mean, I lecture at UQ, and I would and I would say to a lot of people, if I can do it, you can do it too. And I believe that in many ways. But some people don't want to do it, right? And it's not that they can't do it; it's that they don't want to do it. They don't want to do the long hours. They don't want to fail, to, in order to succeed. The height of the pandemic, we launched that business, which was not fun, but it actually built a lot of resilience into us. So it was really good from that perspective because while everybody else was firing people and, you know, cutting costs, we were investing heavily into, into the business and that really actually helped us.
1: If you're not meeting with them, what are you saying to these people? Are you just shutting them off? No, completely? not at all.
0: I, I just, I always ask them where they are in their journey and 99% of them, or maybe 95% of them, haven't even started.
1: It's an idea.
0: And I'm like, come back to me when you've got something. I don't want to hear your idea. I actually don't care. And I love the ones that say, will you sign NDA before I tell him my idea. I'm like, fuck off, basically.
1: Welcome to Startups and Unicorns with Belinda Agnew, your home to learn all things funding, scaling, talent, branding, and the billion-dollar dream, finding out how to be a unicorn in a field of horses, hear from industry founders, and discover how to stand out to those who matter most to your business, with your host, tech startup fanatic, Belinda Agnew. On this episode of Startups and Unicorns, we sit down with no other than Borz Fala, a computer nerd who immigrated to Australia from Iran at just nine years old. His entrepreneurial spirit and passion for cars led him to establish Australia's best car comparison site, which he later sold for $62 million. But he didn't stop there. He continued to pursue his dreams and is now making waves in the media industry with caradvice.com. Join us as we explore his journey, including his failed business ventures and learning from all the experiences and insights into the world of entrepreneurship and relationships. Welcome to the show, Al I like to start off with understanding who Boz is and your childhood and how that came about, because I feel like a lot of the, the childhood upbringing and how your parents raised you and what happened really shapes you as a person and who you are. So can you tell me about who's Boz and, and your upbringing?
0: Sure. Uh, well, I was born in a town called Ahwaz in Iran, um, so in 1984. That's a bit, bit while ago now. I'm pretty old. Um, I used to think oh, I really? was young, but I'm pretty old. Um, and uh, so I grew up there for the first uh, sort of eight years of my life. Um, I lived through the Iran-Iraq War. Um, that is a border town to Iraq, so we were right in the middle of the war. And uh, got a lot of uh, vivid memories from that as a kid. Um, my parents, prior to me being born, lived in Michigan. Um, I did, uh, my dad did his... Um, master's there and my mum did it.
1: PhD, um, right?
0: My, my dad did his PhD there, sorry, my mum did her master's there, you're right, yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, and uh, they came to Iran in the in late 70s after the revolution because they thought the country would get much better and in fact they got a lot worse, they couldn't get out. Um, but anyway, they, they had me in 1984 after many attempts, the only child, uh, unfortunately. Or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, um, and uh, yeah, so I, I grew up in a war zone for a couple of years, um, and then eventually managed to uh, get out of Iran and come to Australia in 1993.
1: So, like, when you say you grew up in a war zone, mm. what was that like? I mean, that you you may have suffered from PSD or something, PTSD, right? PTSD, yeah. yeah, that's right. The, the look, I, I'm
0: yeah, I've got very vivid memories of. Tanks, planes, bombs, fires, buildings on fire, people dying. Yeah, hundred percent. I so you you
1: actually a, seen people dying at the yeah. age of how old were you?
0: Uh would have when it stopped. I was five, so I, I remember like my dad running into building next to us to get bombed to get people out, and and uh, you know I remember acid rain. I was you know, people never even think that's a real thing, but it's a real thing. Like you know,
1: vividly this, you remember yeah, still I to this day. Definitely remember the
0: acid rain. I was remember being in my parents' car wow. and the sky turned black. At, at like 10 a.m. or 11 a.m., whatever it was, and had to come get me from where I was, and the, literally the sky was black and it was raining oil. It's ridiculous. It's just, it's insane. Like it's some of the stuff you remember as a kid, it's insane. And, and um, you know, like it's uh, I, I don't have PTSD. I think I, don't, I I don't believe I do. Like I don't. Yeah. It doesn't really affect me, but like you know, I can tell you, like if I'm under a a train line and a train goes over, like if we're sitting under it, my mum and dad still get like. A bit of shock from it, like because they obviously were older and grew grew up through it. Um, And uh, obviously, it's not pleasant. It's a war that killed hundreds of thousands of people. So,
1: because they say like from age of zero, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's zero to six or zero to seven is where most of the trauma happens. You know, uh, as an adult, like we we still have trauma from those ages. So. Can you tell me about your parents? Like, what was your mum like? What was your dad? I'm trying to understand where the mm. fire came from. Like, there's well, something. Yeah, I'm, I'm very
0: fortunate because uh, my parents are both um, very educated, um, intellectuals. Like, my mum's a, a psychologist, got a PhD in child psychology, and I know weird having a mo- mother as a child psychologist, but I did. And um, and my my, my dad's got two That's PhDs, great. right? So he's got a PhD from Ann Arbor University in Michigan, and he's got one from uh, QUT in Queensland. So. In the sort of uh, uh, medical physics and medical sports uh, world, um, so quite two quite smart people with not an entrepreneurial bone in their body at all. Like they, they wouldn't know the first thing about business, wow. finance, anything. They were just university people. So, um, but I think the reason why I probably my childhood hasn't affected me adversely is because obviously I had a, my parents loved me, and uh, we had a. Even though it was living in a war zone, it's horrible. Uh, I, you know, as long as you've got that sort of strong family unit, you feel safe. Even if you don't, even if you're not. As a child, you don't know any better. You know, I remember standing by the windows and watching buildings like being bombed two hundred meters down the road. And my parents coming like grabbing me and pulling me away from the windows because they always explode. And me you not know, even realizing stuff like that. I have, I genuinely have vivid memories of that, but I don't think about it. Like it's, it's so long ago. Um, yeah. But I got to tell you, it does, um, does give me a level of perspective because when I hear people talk about rough childhoods and stuff, I never interrupt and say, well. You got no fucking idea what you're talking about. But uh, it does sometimes feel like that, right? But everyone's got their own childhood and their own trauma. And I think it doesn't matter if one sounds a lot more horrible than the other. You can't um, undervalue one's own. Struggles in life.
1: I remember you were saying that when I first met you. You were like, I'm so sick of people complaining about A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I mean, I grew up in a bloody war zone. Yeah. <laughs> with missiles. Literally.
0: Intense <laughs> Literally, down yeah, the street, yeah. You know, like it was crazy shit. So
1: that's insane. <laughs> it is. So your it your mum's a psychologist. Yeah. Your wife's a psychologist. My wife's
0: training to be a psychologist, yes.
1: Oh, sorry. So yes. she's training. So yes. What's it like to live (laughs) in a household of psychology? Do you feel like you're constantly getting (laughs) read?
0: Uh, I don't get away I mean, with much. I you'd be great
1: at this, at, at this point.
0: Yeah, I don't get away with too much because um, they're always psychoanalyzing me, I suppose. Yeah, and, I feel and, like and you're psychoanalyzing me right now. <laughs> I, I mean, I studied <laughs> psychology at uni, yeah. so it runs in the family, right? It I, does. I, I did a lot of psych subjects at uni. I did a lot of NLP after uni, like just done my own um, accord. So I'm a big fan of... Sort of human behavioural studies and and things like that. I I actually really enjoyed it. It's it's really helped me in business as well. Um, But I I mean, my parents were amazing. I I genuinely can't fault them. They gave up everything they had to come to Australia just to give me a better life. And I suppose, you know, your question started with what gave me the fire. I I kind of felt that weight a little bit. I felt like-
1: From a young age? Yeah.
0: Not that they ever put that pressure on me, but I felt like, because we grew up poor, and, and they
1: gave you an opportunity to when they moved to Australia, you're like, okay, the pressure's on. I need to kind of yeah, make something I, I, of myself. I think
0: so. I mean, um, when we came here, we had nothing. Like, you know, my mum my and my dad are both so overqualified and my mum was working as a teacher aide and you know, my dad was doing whatever he could do, to mm. just get us by. And I remember the struggles financially and you know, I sort of vowed not to let that sacrifice go to waste because it's very difficult <laughs> when you're in your late 30s, early 40s to leave a country and come somewhere else completely new with nothing. You sort of think about people in their late 30s, early 40s, they've got a solid foundation in a country after they grew up there. Yeah. They've got a house by then. They've got careers, everything. These, my parents had nothing when they came here and they had to start from scratch. And that's hard, especially in a foreign language where no one gives a shit about your qualifications.
1: So it was – the fire came from seeing somewhat suffering in your family, fi- finances, and, and coming from, I guess, a war zone to Australia, like having an opportunity. It's mm. like you have – you have something that you need to, I guess, give back to your parents. Did you feel like no, you, I you did I, it for I, them more so than yourself?
0: Maybe, maybe a little bit of that. I think I, I definitely feel like I I owed my parents at least uh, a chance to do something with my life. Like I, should, I didn't want to. I want to give it a go. I didn't want to just. Be a lazy fuck, I suppose would be the best way to put it. Um so I definitely wanted to give it a go. I, yeah. I wanted to I wanted to actually really try hard and try and make something of myself. But I think to be honest, um a lot of the drive came internally from the fact that I didn't want to have a mediocre life. I didn't want to be just some guy working at like at a I don't know I'm i I've got an IT background right to an extent. So working at sort of IT job that just was just a fucking number like i didn't have anything to aspire to you know like i, I have so many people that i know that have gone through that journey mm. over the last 20 years that are still in the same sort of positions with similar sort of earning capacity and and maybe they're really happy and i think that's great and i'm really happy for them but i knew i was never going to be happy if i sort of sort of lived that life I, I wanted to run my own thing and and really see if put it all in and see what happens
1: so um you Moved from Iran to Australia at what age? How old were you, six? Uh, I
0: just turned nine. Oh, just turned nine. So I was eight. Actually, I got here and like two weeks later was my ninth birthday.
1: Okay. And what age, what year is that in in school? Uh, the
0: 1993. I started, I f- just finished year three and went straight into year four.
1: Okay. Yeah. So you went into school. What was that like? Like, did you speak English? Not a word. No, not a word. Not a word. So, how did you go it's to? A- yeah. How know. did you go to an English-speaking school? What What was that dynamic how like? Kids learn
0: really quickly. So, um, you know, Australia is quite good at ESL, like that's English and Second Language uh, studies. So, for kids yeah. that are foreign kids, no idea what they're doing. Yeah, they um, have good ESL. I had an amazing American ESL teacher. Um, so I, I, picked it up. Most kids do. Like at that age, you pick up uh, language really quickly.
1: How long did it take you to? I, pick-
0: I, I, I don't know. I, I reckon six months to twelve months I was oh, so be not long. No, not at all. And my parents, even though they even though they lived in Michigan and the US for many years, I you know, they're I was speaking better English than them within a year than, you know, because it's just how it is. Your brain works differently as a child. You're like a sponge. Yeah. So I picked up the language. But unfortunately as part of picking up the language, I, I felt like I gave up a fair bit of my own like Persian farsi. I don't I speak it to my parents, but I, I speak like a nine year old. So my vocabulary is pretty pretty funny. But I never progressed that.
1: And what was the um, dynamic like at school for you? Did, were you bullied? Were you popular? Were you like a quiet kid? Who was our um, boss as a child?
0: Yeah, I, I think definitely at primary school I was not very popular and -hmm. Definitely picked on a little bit. Um, Such were the times in the early nineties in Queensland, as you can imagine, for For a Middle Eastern kid. What were
1: they picking you on for? Uh,
0: Not being white, um, not speaking, or whatever, or my parents, or whatever it was. Like you know, like you know, kids are cruel. They are so so cruel, right? Um, I guess I didn't. Look, uh, sure, did it affect me? Maybe, but um, I mean, I've always thrived on proving people wrong. So uh, when I went to high school, uh, it was probably a little bit different. I think I was a little bit um still a computer geek and a nerd but i think i fit it in a little bit better um it was never popular i don't think anyone realized i existed um but i didn't feel like school was an awful experience i actually genuinely liked going to school i, I enjoyed it i felt That's like it great. was a stepping stone to something bigger and uh, I wanted to um wanted to give it a give it a good go. I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> I, um, most
1: I, successful people aren't. No, I,
0: I I didn't. The thing is I, I loved school because I loved the people, but I felt like what we were learning was complete and utter horseshit. So
1: it's it's crazy. So i, I th- it's a question that I've got for you um with your children. I, I'd love to know the dynamics, like with school and stuff and mm. if they are in school and what's that like. Um but yeah, I, I if I ever get to have children, I never will take my kids to school.
0: Oh, well, you should take them to school. I think, I think
1: it's such uh, a system though. it's such a programmed way to educate is, children. it
0: is and uh, and look, there's plenty of studies that suggest that it's could be done significantly better in different ways. but, I think a sense of normalcy for the children comes by going to school um, that doesn't come otherwise, as long as their home life is very uh, educational in the aspects that school doesn't teach. You know, like school is, in my opinion, I mean, it's gotten a lot better since I was at school, but I I still feel like there's an element of where they train you to be in a good employee. That seems to be the entire reasoning for school. They they, they don't really teach you how to solve problems. They, They teach you something and then ask you a question from what you've learned. But they don't yeah. actually ask you to go out there and solve a problem from scratch. Agree. And I think that's the biggest difference. And that's what real life is like. Real life, there's no fucking book for life, right? You gotta actually go out there and, and find the answers. So I, I yeah, I do have Literally. very different conversations with my kids.
1: And this is the thing, they don't teach um, kids life lesson, like life itself, like money and how to earn money and what money's like and what it's like to to buy things and it's just like the, the the basic knowledge. It's I, not really. I recently
0: went and spoke at my old high school as a guest speaker, and they had me and, uh, and another uh, former alumni, and she was a HR manager for some company. And I couldn't believe some of the stuff she was saying around. So, you know, some people ask us questions around, you know, like, how do you manage uh, work uh, and home life? Right. And my answer was, you don't. Like, if you're an entrepreneur, you're working a lot. And yeah. if, if you're worried about work and home life, you're not an entrepreneur. You, you don't understand what it takes yeah. to actually build a successful business. I've never met anyone that's built a successful business that was worried about, oh, it's 530. I better go home because that's when it finishes. Yep. And, and the HR manager was like, well, you just got to make sure that you record all your overtime and you make sure that, you know, your employee pays for all your overtime. And I was like, okay. So this is the different mindset between but employee. That's an employee. Yeah. I know, but, but like that's, that's the difference, right? I, I feel like school doesn't teach you about realities of actually what it is to take risks. Mm-hmm. Um, what it is to go out there and actually do something for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about, you know, how do you get a good career? How do you find a good job? How do you progress in that organization? But it's not about how do you start the organization? You know, that's Pretty a much. different school. And that's, I think that's a family school. That's a school where you learn from people around you, potentially from your own parents. Not in my case. Um, it's amazing as they were. They had zero business sense whatsoever or financial yeah. sense for that matter. Um, but you know, they also grew up in a period where their main, uh, I think priority was survival, uh, not thriving. Survival so it's very
1: mode, different. 100%. Yes. I agree. I think it, it's literally you got to get shot out in life and just keep, you know, um, getting back up. But this is like a question that I've got. Um, I didn't know, I was reading that you had attempted or I guess started 17 businesses. Yes. 17. Yeah. And you the failed field. all of them?
0: No, it was it car advice? Was the seventeenth? So okay, that's, so you failed 16. sixteen times.
1: Yeah, I mean that's persistence. Yeah, Most I people guess so. give up at first, first failure or second failure yeah i started when i was
0: 12 so i guess i started pretty early
1: but why did you keep going like what made you not give up like what was the thing that you just like i need to keep going because you were about to give up at some point i read
0: actually i actually uh did kind of give up at the very very end and i got my first ever real job after i shut down my internet cafe that's
1: right yeah you were Uh, about to give up at that point i I did i feel
0: like i did give up to an extent i feel like i did give up what happened um, so I, I, yes I did I did start a lot of businesses uh, in my youth um, some of them uh, far worse than others. Um, there was a couple that actually did really, really well. I just didn't have the business acumen to make them work. As an example, I had a website called myweblog.com before the word blog was even a thing.
1: What was it called? Um, my-
0: Weblog. Like, that's weblog. That's okay. That's what blog is short for, right? My weblog. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's still under domain, actually. I wrote the entire backend, everything in PHP. It was amazing. And it was basically a blogging platform before Blogger. Um, and at its peak, it had over 60,000 active bloggers weekly that were using it to blog, to write stuff, write their personal life, journal, whatever it is. They were writing, and he was getting so much traffic, and I couldn't afford to pay for the hosting because it had it wasn't making any money; it was all free, right? And my right. parents were paying like six hundred bucks US a month in hosting, and they were like, "What the fuck is this? <laughs> um, what is what is this happening? Is that credit card being scammed?" And <laughs> oh, I was God. like, "Fuck, what do I do?" So you know what I did? I turned it off one day. I literally turned the website instead of like working out how to monetize it or find a business partner to help me. Anything? I think I was like, I don't know, sixteen or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just went, "Oh fuck, I got to turn it off." And then I got like thousands of angry emails saying, where the fuck is my life journal for the last three years? So I had to turn <laughs> it back on and let people download their journal and then turn it off again. So um, oh that was a God. learning experience to tell you because that site worked. That site categorically worked. So when, when I talk about business failure, it's very multifaceted because some of them just didn't work. No one cared. Yeah. There was no demand. Some of them worked really well. I just didn't know how to monetize it. And that was certainly a case of one of those. But Don't,
1: don't you believe that it's the right timing too? Like it's time, people age,
0: timing. Yeah. Like I'll I'll give you an example. The last business I had um, was an internet cafe, uh, which is the worst idea ever. By the way, if you ever ever think about doing something like that, just don't. It's a terrible idea. I don't even
1: know if those things exist anymore. I'm sure there's
0: a few of them still around, but when I started it, there was a shit ton of them around. Like that was before really? broadband had really taken off and smartphones. I had remember it
1: back in the day. Yeah, yeah, they
0: were everywhere, right? And uh, and we had one, and you know what? It was like 30 computers earning $30, three dollars an hour. Like your maximum earning potential was already capped at 90 bucks an hour. And then he had rent staff. It was just the worst idea. Ever. Anyway, that little calculation would have really saved me two years of my life. But I just thought it was a cool idea to start an internet cafe. Um, so as part of that, we realized that's not going to really work me and my business partner. So we actually started doing web development and, and the reason that car advice started is because we had a dealer, random car dealer reach out to us to say, I need you to build me a dealer management platform where I can upload my cars when I list them, when I have cars for sale. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's a cool idea. So I, um, I went and met with him. I was like, I think I was like 19 or 20 and I hand built again, bespoke dealer management platform where he could take photos. It would straight go onto his website, yeah. show up with the price. He could remove them. Stuff yeah. that, you know, people are using now yeah. back in, what well, that would have been? That would have been early 2000s. And uh, I charged him $800. It took me like two months to build it. Can you believe it? Like $800? That's the project that a business these days would charge like half a million bucks to build. Um, wow. But anyway, I charged more. 800 bucks, <laughs> more, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'm not in web development. But um, but you know what? That made me realize how crap automotive <laughs> was online in Australia. I was like, why wow, no one's doing automotive properly. Now, if I was smart, I would have actually just used my own platform and started a car sales equivalent back then. But yeah. I didn't see the thing because I was like, I just love cars. I just want to write about cars. I want to talk about cars. I don't want to do the selling and all that all that stuff that makes money. I want to do the, but, the but cool stuff.
1: Just quickly to interrupt you, when did you know that you had a love for cars? Like, was this like at a really young oh, yeah, age? that's, that's or
0: always or been there even since I was a kid a in Iran. Yeah. I don't know where it came from because my was, was there a is-
1: moment you seen a car- in Iran, do you do you remember seeing a guy driving a car, I don't or know, maybe dad, like
0: and this sounds cars crazy, get but
1: chicks? And you're like, oh, like if I whatever, get a car, I can no, get I, chicks. Um, <laughs> like, I, what was um, what was the thing? There's something that guys usually fall in love with. Honestly, cars for. I,
0: I think then this sounds crazy, but you got to remember it's Iran in the 80s. My dad used to let, me, let sit me on his lap and let me drive um, mm-hmm. while he was I mean, obviously he was driving, but I would pretend I was driving. I just Are you cars.
1: sure he was driving? Uh, well, I
0: don't know, okay. but. um I, I always just had this fascination with with cars. Uh, always had a fascination. I had a lot of good memories in cars. Going places with my parents in a car, like just you know, like there's always a good, positive feeling. Mm-hmm. And when um, I came to Australia, obviously there's a lot more here, and there's a lot more money, and there's a lot better cars. So that sort of builds up, you know. I, I still remember the first time I saw like a supercar and how yeah. amazing that was, and you know, like I saw it like it was down at local shops, and every day I would of course it makes you feel or, inferior. Not like, oh. every day, but every other week or so I would see it, and one day you know, like the guy let me sit in it. And I remember that. Like as a kid, I was like, "Fuck, this is amazing, it's the best day of my life." And I get to sit in a Lamborghini. Like that's why every time now when I have the the cars and kids look at them like, come sit in it. I know, I see.
1: You know You're what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm always yeah. like,
0: I remember that feeling so as a kid and yeah. it's, it's nothing to me. It's 10 seconds, two minutes of my life that of this kid's going to go, fuck, when I grow up, I'm buying that car. And that's what it takes. sometimes those little moments that you anchor, so
1: oh one hundred percent, and i and I feel like those moments, I guess for me now getting older, those moments are like the best moments. Mm. better than anything else is like just giving back to somebody or giving a piece of advice or just you know answering a question to somebody or giving time to somebody like that it's it's seriously like. Tenfold, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and it means the world to them for you to you know give up your time for somebody like that. I mean, especially if they look like it it,
0: it doesn't really mean much to me, so I'm happy to do it because it obviously means more to them. So if someone asks me a question or if someone wants to sit in one of the cars or whatever, I'm always happy to oblige. You did it
1: for a um a formal guy asked you, yeah, yeah, he asked you, yeah, he asked you a question. What did he say on the NGL? He's like, "Can I hire your car for my formal?" And you're like, "No, I'll give it to you for free." if you just ask me nicely.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't. I mean, what's, what am I do? Like
1: <laughs> something like make that. hundred bucks. I was like, this is great. Yeah. This is great. Maybe yeah. I should just ask him for his Lambo for the weekend if I ask him nicely. <laughs>
0: yeah. Maybe not that. But um. you no. Know,
1: I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> so like you, you attempted businesses. Okay. 16. You then went on to the 17th business, which was caradvice.com. Yep. Yep. And that was born in 2006. And I, I remember reading, I've written down here, you, you said you never imagined it would be acquired by Australia's biggest media entity for more than $62 million, $62.8 million to be exact. And that was by Channel 9. That's right. And there was an article written here which said, this was one of the biggest media deals of the decade. How did that make you feel?
0: That wasn't enough. We should have listed the business. It, uh, was, yeah, IPO, it was – IPO,
1: you were talking about IPO yeah, at the time. Yeah,
0: no, it was a mistake, actually. We should never have sold it at so, that price. So
1: the day that you signed the contract with Channel 9 for $62.8 were you just like, shit, like, instantly? You were like, in gut, like, why did we do that? No,
0: fuck no, not at all. No, so, no, so, no, no, So, no. so was what, like probably the happiest day. Um, Yeah, yeah. so it was
1: happy. So and then I, when I, did you I'll start give to Give you some have context. I, yeah. I, sp-
0: I suppose uh, – up until that point, I wasn't exactly wealthy, right? So I was a, I was a striving entrepreneur. Like we weren't broke, obviously the business was doing okay, Mm -hmm. but also I wasn't like super wealthy or even I wouldn't even call myself normal wealthy. Um, What we should have done, and this is again, uh, I, I guess it goes back to that sort of delayed gratification, uh, was just hang out for another year or two and list a business. Um, But we had a few hostile shareholders on the register that wanted out, wanted liquidity. Uh, They've been there for a while, so I understand, right? And okay. well, when That's someone awesome. waves a large check in front of your face and you're broke, uh, mm-hmm. it's hard to say no, even if the outcome is, well, you can actually get three times the amount of money if you just wait and do it, if you list it, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, obviously,
0: listed markets are their own, peril um and they could go either way and um who knows what would have happened but i I still feel like the valuation for our business as to what it was and where it was going was pretty low um and could have been a lot better if we sort of got it ready And we were going to get it ready for our listing, but yeah, we had a competing offers from a few different media companies to sell it.
1: Who was competing against China?
0: A few of the the big ones, so nine, seven, and ten, actually.
1: Oh wow! Um, So they heard about China. So actually, it's funny.
0: I'll tell you a story. We actually tried to sell the business in 2014, and no one wanted to buy it. Um, because we wanted to sell it, right? So when you try and sell right. something, no one wants to buy Isn't it.
1: Isn't that so it's funny? Just basic human you psychology, want what you right? You You're Trying have. to get rid
0: of it, <laughs> and uh, people are like, "What's fucking wrong with it?" Yeah. So we went. We actually went on a, we actually went on a road show to try and get interest to buy it, and the best offer we got was four million. Believe it or not, four million.
1: No wow. word of a lie. No
0: word of a lie. It was a four million dollar offer from car sales. That's what we got. Um, and we thought, "Fuck you guys, that's bullshit." Like we were doing. I think at the time, like 15 more revenue or something. He was like, "How is this? How is it? How's yeah. not even one times revenue? Like, how, what, are you, what, are yeah. you, what, what are you guys smoking?" Um, so we just went, "No, nah, we're going to list it. Um, we're going to go and just go double down on our business, and we're going to yeah. list it." And that's what we did. We doubled down on our business, and as soon as the word got out that we were going to list it, everyone's like, "Fuck! If we don't buy it now, we'll never be able to buy it." So then everyone so it's, it's went the other fimo. way, right? I guess so. Yeah, in a way, credit farmer. And yeah. then when you when you've got one media company. And the other media companies like we need to look at this because we don't want them to get it, and then it sort of becomes. A bit so different. they were
1: battling and trying to fight. Don't know
0: if they were battling, but certainly there were offers from both. Um, what and- did
1: Channel Seven and the others offer?
0: I can't tell you, but no, it wasn't wasn't that. Um, it because- wasn't
1: anywhere near like close. Can you tell me? Well,
0: the thing was the the nine purchase price was originally meant to be thirty five million, right? So they purchased the business for what. I think was originally reported at thirty-five because what they'd done was that paid us half the business at thirty-five, and then we had a two-year earnout.
1: Right? right.
0: In that two-year earnout, the remaining fifty percent was worth more than ninety-something million.
1: Right. In terms of
0: valuation, which is how it equaled out to be over sixty. But I don't think they ever anticipated us doing so well. From an EBITDA perspective, right. that the multiple on the earnout was so high, and I think they, uh, you know, they probably thought they were going to get it a much better deal. And you know what? If they paid us at one hundred percent to start with, we would have sold it for thirty-five, but um, they didn't. Jesus. So as part of the earnout, we were like, "Well, fuck it, let's go, <laughs> let's go hard and see what we can get out of this." So. I regret selling any shares at the original valuation. So
1: you regret it now?
0: I regret selling the business after, in total. Yep. After. yeah, I I do and I don't. Obviously now with Car Expert. Uh, with my new business it's going really well and i think obviously it wouldn't be here if i, if course, I hadn't sold yeah, it of course yeah so I, look yes do i regret it? it was the wrong decision probably mm-hmm. um but mm-hmm. do i move on and make better ones now absolutely
1: so car advice sold um that day was a great feeling. Then later on you kind there's of There's
0: nothing, there's nothing like the feeling of going to ATM and getting printouts over printouts where you're like, fuck, I can't believe there are new zeros in the bank account. Like not that insane.
1: insane.
0: Yeah, it is actually insane. Like as someone that's been broke all Did their life. Did you have like
1: a flashback of your life? Like, holy shit, I was like a kid was, and I was there was in missiles Sydney. and like things are like people getting killed and shot. And now I'm here bloody printing out cash, millions of dollars in my bank in Australia.
0: Uh not like, like that. No, but I remember being in Sydney and obviously the money had been deposited the day before and I'm a, yeah. I'm a late night sleeper and I wake up really fucking late, right? So it was like 10 a.m. I had all so these, texts, now, from, all these texts from my wife going, holy fuck, we're rich, which I thought was hilarious. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh fuck, the money must have gone in. And I remember opening up the, uh, it was like a called bank, which is the worst internet banking application you've ever seen, probably better now. but um, And looking at it and I was like, Jesus Christ, there's a lot of money in the bank account, right? And that's, look, you know, it's all relative, obviously. Now I'm like, fuck, that's, that stuff wasn't enough. We need more money. Um, but at the time you just like you kind of get this weird sort of like I can fucking never do anything again for the rest of my life and it's gonna be okay. That's a weird feeling to have for someone that's always felt like they're struggled. Uh,
1: because I believe that entrepreneurs do so well based on survival mode. And like as soon as that survival mode is taken away, I feel like you can get really comfortable quick. Mm and nothing actually happens. Nothing's really exciting. You're never really excelling at anything. So when you have that much money, you would have felt. It's
0: not that a much cup. money. I gotta be honest It's, it's a real- lot of money. It's relative. I know it sounds Come crazy. On. But it's, it's not real- a lot of money for you. You gotta give a lot of it to the tax mil- department for a start, right?
1: Hang on. Yeah. You came literally with zero dollars. I know,
0: I know, but that's I have Millions of taste.
1: dollars, millions of dollars. At some point, you would have felt comfortable with yourself. You would have been like, okay, I'm set. Me and my wife are set. We're okay. Like, we can travel. We can live our life and, and be comfortable. It's never
0: enough, though, is it?
1: Did you feel comfortable at one point?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Comfortable in a sense that we're not going to go hungry or that, you know, we can afford to pay the bills, sure.
1: And did you lose drive?
0: No, fuck no. No, no, no. Did you
1: get hungrier? Uh,
0: I I probably, the last six months of the earnout, I lost a bit of drive because I was like, we're doing so well. Like, I couldn't give a fuck, really, um, at that point. And then after the business was fully taken over, um, I really genuinely intended to stay there for a really long time. I was like, they're paying me a... Insane amount of money as a salary, and mm-hmm. I'll just enjoy the ride and it's a great business and blah, blah, blah. But realized very quickly that the people in charge and I didn't agree on vision for going forward. Um and uh You lost control. It wasn't that I lost control. I, I just I don't want to be around where the brand that I built and founded was going in a direction that I didn't agree with. And I'm happy yeah. what direction they want to take it for it, they paid for it, right? That's their prerogative. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to be there for that journey, so I, um, I, I, I did leave in 2019, um, and uh, my wife said, why don't you take some time off? And uh, I took 12 hours off before I started the next business.
1: 12 yeah, hours literally. that was my next question yeah. like how long into it until I you started car so expert man.
0: i was so motivated i was like "Fuck, i'm gonna do this so much better again so much better
1: yeah because you learn a, a ton right yeah, and you're and like oh my god this got, is literally, i'm literally gonna took, take this and do it again 20 even people
0: out of car advice and brought them over so
1: 20 people
0: 20 people yeah so oh and gosh, no, people they would have
1: hated you people
0: ask me um, well they must have because they shut it down but um <laughs> <laughs> uh, they asked me, like, how the fuck could you actually, one, leave and start a competitor? And two, take so many people with you. But, um, I mean, I'm still here. I'm doing it. So
1: Reputation. Clearly,
0: uh, clearly the legalities worked.
1: And if you look after your people, people stay with you. They follow well, you everywhere.
0: Everyone in our everyone that came over in the early days in our business has shares in the in, the, in, Car Expert, in the new business. Oh, okay. So, gave, so, you
1: do employee shares.
0: Absolutely. You gave more than 20% of the company away to staff um, to entice them to come over because... Why else would okay. they come over? Like, what's the point of leaving a super cushy business that's ran by Australia's largest media company, earning good money? And they come work for a startup that may or may not fucking work.
1: Makes sense. You know what I mean? A lot of people are against the whole employee um, share scheme. I've spoken to a few really? business. Yeah, some people are really iffy about it, and then some people are all for it. Like because Amazon did it and all these big guys did it. I think it's super healthy to do. Why not give back to your people? It's if you're, different. If you're making a ton of money, why not give back yeah, to the people? We had a car advice
0: as well. So we had it a car advice. So when the car advice sold, there was a reasonable amount of money that went to some of the staff. Probably not enough, mm-hmm. um, but there was still a reasonable amount. But at Car Expert, like in order to do what we needed to do, we needed the best people immediately, mm. uh, and the best people were somewhere else, and they were getting good money. So in order to get less money, we need to give them shares in the business.
1: So like all of this has happened, right? You you came from Iran, you moved to Australia, you had the opportunity, you built this incredible business. You didn't know that it would sell for ridiculous amount of money. It was the happiest day of your life. <laughs> your wife was literally like, "Holy fuck, we're rich." <laughs> I think she might have said
0: we're not and broke. I can't you, remember you, what she you you, said. You, you're like,
1: wealthy, but... right? So you felt like comfortable at some point. And then um, you went and started a company called Car Expert, which is um, how – can you talk about that like a little bit in terms of the recent raise? You did a raise recently and how long has that been running for? Uh,
0: that launched um, – so the
1: 12 hours after Car Advice. It didn't launch
0: 12 hours, but the business, I guess, conceptualized okay. very much in late 2019 and the, there were actual – company launched in April 2020 so right into the pandemic literally um as the pandemic at the height of the pandemic uh we launched that business which was not fun mm-hmm. um but it actually built a lot of resilience into us so it was really good from that perspective because while everybody else was firing people and you know cutting costs we were investing heavily into into the business and that really actually helped us we got basically a year and a half free to catch up to all our competitors
1: so i guess like with the I'm trying to understand your, your hunger here. And, and I'm trying to understand the more people I interview and the more people I talk to, there's a question that I constantly keep asking myself, is it ever enough? Like, are you ever satisfied? Will you constantly keep chasing? Let's just say you sell car expert. I don't know. Like
0: I'd sell list. This one's definitely listing. I'm not okay,
1: listen, let's same just say, Okay, Liz, like, let's just say I you make you make a ton of money. In a of years time, is is that going to be enough? Like do you feel no. you were constantly No, I mean keep- at some
0: point it doesn't it's not always about money. No. Like, you get addicted to winning, you get addicted yes. to creating a business that's successful, you get addicted to beating competitors. I'm I'm very very competitive. I I do a lot of what I do because I like to win and sometimes winning means beating other people in that process and mm-hmm. a business sense obviously um and i'm i'm really driven that way like I, I i love the fact that we have competitors i love the fact that we can do better and by doing better we actually outperform our competitors and that makes me wake up in the morning and go to work with like some sense of purpose and and the purpose for me what makes, gives me happiness is is that sort of purpose of actually winning something and um yes there's obviously financials and that's amazing and and that's great but at some point to Answer your question, it doesn't become about money. It, it's just you gotta love what you do, right? And I, and, and I love running a business, I love starting something, I love going up against big guys. Um, it gives me drive, it gives me motivation. I'm just wide that way, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I think it's a wide, you have to be wired to be able to keep doing that. I like we consistently just consistently the way that you do.
0: We just had what two weeks of holidays. Um, I was the most stressed that I've ever been. Like, I, I, I hate. holidays i just all i wanted to do was go back to
1: things build up
0: no i I just they do i just wanted to go to the office i just want to escape and go and do some work because
1: okay that's my happy place so uh it was interesting i was away in noosa and somebody asked me a question that was i actually had to sit down and think about this a few times my answer i'll give you my answer after you answer to me um they asked me what is your hobby
0: Hmm.
1: so i'm asking you what is your hobby
0: I don't know. I think my hobby is my work. I that's love what, what I. I, do. I yeah. That's
1: literally what I said. They didn't believe me. They're yeah. like, I mean, I do like
0: So like, But it works. But. Not
1: a hobby. Work's not a hobby. Like, I mean, like, do you love like, surfing? Do you, like mm. love do you like to read books? Do po- you like to read podcasts? Like, do you have a hobby outside of work? Uh,
0: if it's got an engine attached to it, yeah, I like <laughs> it. Like, I do like I do go karting. Like, I love go karting. That's oh, okay. I would call that a hobby, but. It's always so in that the thrill. Feel. I love danger. I adrenaline, you know, yeah, adrenaline, yeah, yeah okay. absolutely. So I, I love the so fast you do, cars. You do I have a
1: things. hobby. Hey, you do have a hobby.
0: I guess so. I mean, it's cars, but I'm in that business too, right? Like, I mean, I'm in the business of cars. I love the fact that what I do every day is also related to what I love every day.
1: And this also goes back to like the whole entrepreneur thing. Um, I know you post a lot on your Instagram about. People constantly hitting you up on a daily basis. Can we have coffee? Can I pick your brain? Can you be my advisor? Uh, Can you invest here, in actually, my company? Funny Co- like a constant thing, right? Because these these people are, are striving or, or wanting to be you or, or somewhat successful. Um, what's your advice, I guess, to, to these entrepreneurs starting out or wanting to be successful, striving to be, you know, somewhat status, somewhat of status? Um, like, if you're not meeting with them, what are you saying to these people? Well, Are you, are you just shutting them off No, completely? not at all.
0: I, I just I always ask them where they are in their journey, and 99% of them, or maybe 95% of them, haven't even started.
1: It's an idea.
0: And I'm like, come back to me when you've got something.
1: Mm. Like, I don't want
0: to hear your idea. I actually don't care. And I love the ones that say, will you sign an NDA before I tell you my idea? I'm like, fuck off, basically. I know. Not in that rude manner, but basically what I'm trying to say <laughs> is fuck off because – you got to be kidding me, right? You want you want me to sign an NDA so you can tell so me your like idea?
1: That's like 99% of people.
0: What haven't started yet.
1: No, no, ask for an NDA. Ah,
0: just, I'm it's just like. 99% dude, like, of people. You're asking me for advice. And you want me to sign an NDA so you can tell me your idea that you haven't even started.
1: But how are you going to know if the idea is good if you don't, don't care speak about to, the If idea. you don't speak to people.
0: Yeah, but I don't care about the idea.
1: Yeah. But, but I'm saying, like, the whole thing of an NDA is it's ridiculous because it is ridiculous. how are you going to know if it, your it idea is, is good no, if you're not no speaking to r- people about it?
0: No one in their right <laughs> mind will ever sign an NDA with you. It's just crazy. Yeah. And if you think that someone's going to steal your idea and go and run it, they're not going to do that. If, if, you know, if you can't make your idea work, some other guy you told your idea to, who's fucking busy doing their own shit, he's not going to take your idea all of a sudden. Stop doing it. Yeah. And you get people here from medical fields to waste management. And it's like, dude, do you think I'm going to give up doing a car business to go and run a waste management business? Like, like I don't even want, I don't care about your idea. If it hasn't started come back to me when you've started something. I always say, come back to me when you've got an MVP. If you've got something, something that's up and running. Yeah, agree. Even if it's a concept, even if it's just something that shows proof of life, then I'm happy to come have a chat to you and, and see what it is.
1: What makes a great o- entrepreneur?
0: I think it's persistence, really. I think at the end of the day, every good entrepreneur I've ever met, in fact, you know, I actually kind of, Dislike the word entrepreneur. It's so overused. And I mean, it's actually, it's, turned into like basically calling people influencers now. Everybody says that. I know it's insane. So I actually hate that everybody word. Everybody hates but entrepreneurs. Yeah, yeah, well, that's because most of them are fake. That's um, true. Most entrepreneurs are. I mean, they're not. They are. They're completely fake. But like what, they makes, actually what done makes an able.
1: entrepreneur fake? What I mean, do you mean by that?
0: People that love the idea of being an entrepreneur and they spend most of their life pretending to be hustling.
1: You mean solopreneurs? no I that's mean, what they call them these days solopreneurs
0: whatever label they want to give themselves but if but if you've actually never started anything that is outside of an amazon store selling other people's shit from china that's not an entrepreneur man that's 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 ridiculous yeah. an entrepreneur has a unique idea yeah.
1: correct and they build
0: it up and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with running an e-commerce store on amazon by the way but you know i think a lot of people pretend that by making a thousand bucks a month out of something that they're running a successful business and that's fine i don't care I don't, I'm not here to judge anyone, but don't hit me up with your idea.
1: Do you think that you're born with persistence, like grit? Do you think that you're born with it? Or do you believe that that's something
0: that's built over time? It's a really hard one to answer. Um, if, uh, I think there's the elements of both, but I genuinely think you're born with it.
1: I, I, used, so I used to think you weren't. Most people say you it, it's learnt over time based on the failures that come to your life, but I don't. I don't believe that. I feel like it's in you. For, it's, for you either long, have it or you don't.
0: For a long time, I would stand up in front of and I lecture at UQ, and I would and I would say to a lot of people, "If I can do it, you can do it too," and I believe yeah. that in many ways. But some people don't want to do it, right? And it's not that they can't do it; it's that they don't want to do it. They, they, they don't love want the idea. To, well, they don't want to put in the effort. They don't want to do the long hours. They don't want to. Fail to in order to succeed, right? They just they want to live a much more comfortable life. They don't want to take the risk, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Those people are usually amazing employees, mm-hmm. and you are know, probably a lot happier than I am because they go home and they switch off and they play with their kids. I go home and all I think about is like oh, I'm gonna put the kids to bed, so I can do some more work. I love that. I actually love that. You know, it's 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 people call it a sickness, but I I love it. I, I actually love because for me it's not work. I I feel like I'm getting a I'm getting an outcome that I really enjoy getting.
1: Yeah. So, I. It, it's hard because um, when I talk about work or like when a woman has passion for work, um, it's kind of frowned upon more. I'm by the way, I'm not a feminist. I just want to make that super clear, <laughs> but it's frowned upon in a sense from society that women that are too ambitious um a kind of look down on, not not just in personal life, but in business life. Mm. Um, and I think it's extremely difficult the older I get, it's extremely difficult for, as a woman to to wanna strive and want to work hard and want to hustle and constantly be on, but then also have the feminine side as well. Because you have a lot of difficulties along the way with dating and and, you know, personal stuff and then also business stuff. It's extremely difficult. I think I believe um, men do it better in every way in business. So I think you have to have a full masculine energy to really succeed in business. What's your thoughts on women being ambitious, women, you know, having a business um, or having somewhat success, striving to be the best, um, but also being a mum and being a wife? What's yeah, your- look,
0: I, I mean, obviously I can't relate uh, to being a woman entrepreneur. Um, there's plenty know, of really amazing ones out I'm there. But I'm sure
1: you see a lot, yeah, of yeah. women striving to be or wanting to be or talking about it.
0: You know, you know, Australia's highest paid CEO is a, is a woman that's the, you know, um, so there's a lot of examples of really, really highly successful women in all over the world as entrepreneurs and as business leaders. And I think you're right. They do encapsulate a lot of, um, I guess, masculine traits, which are required in business. It's, you know, it's, it's, it is required to an extent. You got, you got to have a certain element of, um, ruthlessness to you in business. I think, um, I certainly do. Um, you know, you got to be able to make decisions that are hard and sometimes those decisions hurt other people's feelings. Um, but that's business, right? Like you gotta, Mm -hmm. you gotta go for it. And, you know, as I said, I've, I've got a very, Deep competitive streak, uh, which I think is quite a masculine streak personally, and I know a lot of very competitive women as well. So you know, I'm not saying that women can't do it at all; they absolutely can. And there's plenty of better women entrepreneurs than me. Um, I don't know; I, I can't relate to to the from from your perspective, but but I think certainly it must be pretty difficult. And I can I've definitely seen it uh, from my side of I guess men talking down to uh, female entrepreneurs, or or at least not necessarily talking about them directly, but sort of feeling that way towards them. Mm. Um, I don't believe it's right necessarily. Um, I, I certainly think that um, if you or if any woman wants to achieve the things that any other male has achieved, you can absolutely go and do it. But you do have to adopt a certain personality that doesn't 100%. necessarily resonate with, the, I suppose, some of the other aspects of uh, yeah. being a feminine
1: Cause it's, it's not a hundred percent themselves. Cause I think women are, are feminine. Are, are, we're feminine. Like we're supposed to have a feminine energy. And as soon as we uh, have a masculine energy or a trait, it, it gives like a, that's not real or that's, that's not, um, that's not who she is. There's somewhat, there's something there that's not ha- real yeah. about her. So I wanted to move into your wife You talk about how much she's had a huge impact on your success. Can you talk about why that is and how she's played a part?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I think um, one of the reasons that my wife and I have been so good and compatible is because um, she's really attracted to driven people. Like she loves the drive in me. Like when she met me, I was broke as fuck, right? I had no money. I was living at home actually with my parents. Um, and I, you know, basically couldn't pay for dinner, even though I tr- definitely tried. Um, and, uh, but she knew how driven I was. And, and, you know, I always talked about our, you know, our future plans and our dreams and, and, you know, she believed in me and that was really important, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, we, we sort of built this dream together. Um, you know, and she struggled through a lot of years that I could have just been a, Normal guy earning a normal salary, but coming home at five and not being away and not working, you know, 15, 16 hour days. And I did a lot of travel. And I still do a lot of travel for work. Um, so there's a lot of elements of that, but you know, she really believed in my dream and, and she really sacrificed a lot of her dreams personally, maybe with her career. Um, to support mine. And now that we're in this sort of financially stable situation, she's now following what she wanted to do in her career-wise, which is why she's on her path to becoming a registered psychologist. So it kind of worked out both ways, right? I, I think, you know, hers is probably 10 years late because obviously she had to you know, be a mum and, and be a housewife to many ways. And, mm-hmm. and you know, she's an amazing mum and a housewife, but she's also super smart. So she's actually more qualified than me now. Um, and, uh, and she's going to be far more <laughs> qualified than me very soon. So, yeah, it's, it's been a really good uh, – we've been together for 13, 14 years. Wow. Um, so. And how
1: long was it until you made it? Like how long was she with you until you were somewhat broke?
0: Oh, So it would have been eight years. Before we eight moved. years, yeah, a long time, right?
1: So she stuck around for eight years. Yeah,
0: she believed in it. That
1: is amazing. You it. know, that is so rare. I know. For, there's I know. no That's women. Why, like- there's no women like that. And like, I'm a woman. I feel bad for saying this, but there's no real I think women. There's plenty of women like
0: that. There's, no, there's no real women. women
1: out there. Mo- like, vast majority of women wouldn't stick around for eight years with a broke man.
0: Yeah. Let's I don't be know. honest, I they wouldn't. Know. I don't know, maybe. They but, wouldn't. Um I guess if you believe in that person and if you believe in the Yeah, if
1: you love them and believe in them and support them, absolutely. But I just think now in our day and age and our era, it's just not
0: well heard everyone- of
1: as, as much as, as much back then, I would well, say.
0: And also that's why, you know, the most successful uh men that I know that are happily married are the ones that married their wife before they were successful because they know that that marriage is based on a foundation that's very different Mm -hmm. to the future one. You know what I mean? Like, uh, obviously, you know, it's a bit different now if I was single, if I was dating, might be a little bit different. Um, But like, you know, we have have a great family, um, kids. So it's, yeah, I've been very fortunate. I don't think... I would have been able to do what I did uh without my wife's support. Um there's plenty of times where she helped me get back up and get going again as well like you know it's it's part of that role sometimes to to sort of give you a bit of a pep talk It's like you ride
1: and die. Yeah, you need somebody to support you.
0: Absolutely. So along I, the way. I, you know although I take the limelight in in many respects I I think um without her support and and help throughout that period there's no way that I could do Certainly what I've done with, you know, having my kids and family and the home life. And I don't Absolutely, have to worry yeah. about my home life, right? Like yeah. it's all taken care of. Absolutely. Um, and that's really important. Like honestly, I, I haven't got the mental capacity to worry about making sure that, the, you know, all the, all the kids' parent meetings are done, the kids mm-hmm. are doing really well at school, that their grades are good, like all that stuff that, you know, my wife takes care of Is That mental load allows me to be super focused on certain other things. Mm. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't care about my kids. I spend a lot of time with them, really good quality time with them. But a lot of that sort of tasks that I, I guess parents have to really worry about and always be on top of, she's on top of it. And uh, that really helps me.
1: Amazing. um lastly, I know we're um, running on schedule here for the podcast. I just want to answer a question that um, was coming up in my Instagram when I posted. I'm interviewing you this evening. They were asking what um streams of income do you have other than car expert? So, I know that you invest into some early stage startups. So, mm-hmm. can you talk about your streams of income and what does that look like?
0: You know, I'm, I'm probably going to go against the grain here because uh, everyone talks about having like six fingers and 18 pies and
1: Yeah, and I, I'd that, love and, to know. What's your thoughts? Like real I estate? I don't
0: think that way. I don't think okay. that way. I, I, I had a few properties. I I had four properties that I sold in 2020 um, uh-huh. because my focus was... And you know, the reason I sold them is because I was starting carricks but... And I said to my wife, I don't want to have residential
1: or commercial? Both. Both. Okay. Um,
0: And I said to my wife, I don't want to have anything that distracts me from what I'm doing. And I want to be 110% focused on this one thing. And I want to go all in on it. And that's sometimes what it takes, right? That's how I that's how I think. So um a lot of people have like, I've got an interest in this business, I've got an interest in that business. I spend one day a week on this. I spend four days. Like, that doesn't fucking work for me. I I can't do that. It's it's 110% focused on one thing until it's like to a point where it doesn't need me anymore and that's a beautiful feeling by the way when your business doesn't need you anymore because your value is no longer relevant when you've got people that are way better at running the business see i'm really good at starting something and getting it to a certain point where it's profitable Mm -hmm. but then there's people who can take it from earning 20 million a year to earning 100 million a year that's not me Mm -hmm. and i know what i'm good at so i'm going to do what i'm good at
1: so do you believe in (coughs) property Like do you – is that something that you want to invest in to the future or is it just kind of your laser focused on um, businesses at the moment? I think
0: when I retire as an entrepreneur, that would certainly be something I invest in for passive income. Mm -hmm. Um, But I kind of look at property as like super. I kind of go – It's a good long-term investment and it's good at some point when you're going to want to pull the money out. But I'm too young at the moment to think about things in a 20-year cycle. You know, more of a five to 10-year cycle. And for me, in the next five years, I could do a lot more with that money or with that mental headspace in a business than I can with looking at buying some. I I bought some commercial property. I did it all. Like I've done it all. I went through that phase, right? Yeah. Yeah. I learned a lot about it. I actually made good money out of all the properties I bought and sold. So I'm not saying don't do it. It's a great idea, but, but. I'm all about singular focus, singly, you know, single-minded focus on one thing. It's too much, yeah. Um, And any distraction for me is just, uh, it's not going to work.
1: I agree. Um, I want to wrap up the podcast and um, ask you a question is what do you hope to achieve with your business in the future of Car Expert or overall, whatever you're you're working on? Because I know you've got a huge passion or I guess... Not passion, but an interest in AI and things that you post on Instagram. So, is there anything in the future that you're looking at getting into or dabbling in?
0: Yeah, I mean, we were already using AI for a bit of the stuff that we do on Car Expert around um, content generation, but also in understanding our own content and summarization and things like that. So, AI has been really helpful with that. But my, see, previously at Car Advice, our aim was to be the largest new car site in the country by audience, and we were. Um, You know, most people, more people read car advice when they're looking for a new car than anywhere else. With this one, you know, we're really actually taking on a much bigger competitor, which is Carcells, which we never did previously. So they're an $8 billion business. Um, and uh, that's a big fish. Um, and we're going after them in certain aspects. And they're a great competitor. I have enormous amount of respect for Carcells. They're probably the only real, proper startup in that space that came from nowhere and absolutely destroyed everybody else. Right. And I have a lot of respect for that. Right. Everyone wants to replicate that. So I'm really excited about that challenge to be a number two to them um, in the next couple of years. And, you know, mm-hmm. usually a number two player in a, in a market where the number one's worth eight to nine billion is uh, is worth a fair bit of money as a number it's
1: two a huge number yeah
0: so um, <laughs> we're pretty excited we've got some amazing investors in our share register this time as well that are gonna nice. help us um to actually expand the business the way it needs to be expanded both locally and internationally um so it's it's awesome to have some really amazing entrepreneurs in our share it's the people that i look up to rather than sort of the other way around or having just institutional investors which is what we had last time so it's
1: important to have those people Yeah, they're kind of
0: like mentors at the same time as, um, as being motivation, but also obviously funding the business. So Mm -hmm. it's, uh, look, it's been an awesome journey to start another business. And actually, when I started it, you know, a lot of people, uh, told me, either through third parties or directly that, you know, lightning doesn't strike twice, right? You can't... You got really lucky with car advice and, you know, when someone says to you you got really lucky, it really shits me because they're like, really, I spent the last, you know, like 12, 13 years of my life failing and now I got lucky? Like you it's know what true. I mean? Like it really—it really just goes to show you how little they understand of what it takes to start a business. No one that ever got successful—overnight success. Yeah, right? no one that ever got properly successful got lucky. They worked their fucking ass off to get there. And um, so with this one, I was like, there was a lot of, to me, there was a lot of effort to prove people wrong as well. And uh, that really motivates me, hey. Like I'm, I'm really driven by a, a certain element of that thought. And uh, I'm so happy that I'm surrounded by people that share that vision you know um, it's amazing and, uh, it is and we've done we've we've grown so fast now you know we're the second largest car site for new cars in Australia and uh, we're going to be number one soon so that's really my that's really my purpose and that I'm, really drives me
1: I'm excited to see the journey
0: me too <laughs> thank you
1: so much for coming on the podcast
0: oh thanks for having me it was awesome thanks for listening to Startups
1: and Unicorns with Belinda Agnew if you haven't already be sure to follow the show XEnabler is your one-stop tech innovation partner, creating unmatched digital solutions and turning tech visions into a reality. For more information, visit XEnabler.digital. Get in touch with Belinda by following at Belinda Agnew Official.